In the last three episodes of this podcast, we've discussed a lot about climate change mitigation. In other words, we focused on things that can be done to try and avoid the future impacts of climate change. This mitigation work is crucial. It needs to be done in order to ensure the livability of the climate for ourselves, as well as for future generations. However, this mitigation work isn't everything. The impacts of climate change are being felt already, and they're impacting people in a host of ways. Of course, there's these physical impacts, things like we covered in episode one half, wildfire, hotter, drier summers, and the health impacts of wildfire smoke. An often overlooked impact is the mental side of things, understandably so. Instead of seeing wildfires on the news or black air filtering in a smoke season, poor mental health due to climate change may often just look like some more mumbles and grumbles in the community. Recently, I've been thinking a lot about how to keep climate change education positive, and frankly, it's very difficult. It's easy to talk about exciting mitigation measures all day. At some point, we have to acknowledge that we are presently facing some of the negative impacts of climate change. Some may handle this fine, but it weighs heavily on some folks. Today, our guest will discuss the link between climate change and mental health. I'm Devin, a summer intern at Climate Smart. And I'm Kelly, program director at Climate Smart Missoula. And you're listening to Clear the Air podcast exploring how our community is stepping up to the plate to combat climate change. Before we go any further, I want to acknowledge that Jen, our guest, is a mental health professional, and she may share some strategies or frameworks that help address some mental health challenges. However, in no way is this a substitute for seeking help. If you're struggling with your mental health, consider seeking that help in person. All right, here's Jen. So my name is Jen Robom. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist, and I work, my day job is working as clinical faculty for the Family Medicine Residency of Western Montana, and I also have a small private practice. To start out, we asked Jen to describe the link between climate change and health as she saw it. Yeah, I mean, I think they're very related for a couple of really important reasons. I mean, one is I think we're learning uh, more and more that framing climate change as a health issue as opposed to an environmental issue gives us more traction. Um, And partly that's because it's going to be one of the biggest health crises of the 21st century in, in all kinds of ways. So there's huge overlap in terms of how climate change will impact human health and, of course, environmental and other health. But um, again, I think that's a, a point of, of traction for us in, in helping people to appreciate just the current and present dangers of climate change. Well, I'll back up, Devin, and just um, talk a little bit about what I see as kind of three buckets of mental health mm-hmm. challenges related to climate change, and wildfire actually fits into all three of them. <laughs> so the first, I would say, is, is direct impacts or maybe acute impacts from disasters or weather-related events um, you know, connected to climate. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in, in wildfires, obviously, that might be um, my house burns down or somebody who I care about is burned or injured in response to the wildfire. So it's, it's a very acute and direct event, and certainly that can affect mental health in all kinds of ways. Many people prove to be resilient in the face of those kinds of disasters, but a lot of people are impacted psychologically. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's one bucket. Um, A second bucket is what I'd call more slow or creeping disasters. So um, we think about people's responses to drought or rising temperatures. In the case of wildfires, I'd say maybe when, uh, you know, our our sky is blanketed by wildfire smoke for weeks at a time, right? So it's not a a discrete event, but it's it's something that kind of accumulates over time or is a little bit more chronic. Mm And that can impact our mental health in all kinds of ways, too, just adding to stress and general dis-ease. Um, 
maybe thinking about um, changes in the landscape. Um, certainly if you've had a wildfire and a, a place that you really love has burned down and you go back and visit that later, that's going to have an impact in terms of your mental health. Um, so again, there's, there's the direct, these are more indirect, more chronic uh, impacts. And then the third bucket I would think of in terms of um, what I'd call overarching psychosocial impacts. And that can be things like hearing about climate change. So maybe my community is okay, but I heard about Australia or I heard about a fire in California and I've seen images of that and that can impact me emotionally. Or I can anticipate that down the road um, communities will be beset by wildfire or I might be wondering about God, is every, is every summer going to be like this moving forward? Are we going to have smoke all the time? And I could, I could have an emotional reaction to that. So, um, you know, those are the ways we think about mental health being impacted and fires kind of hit all three points. I spoke with Jen some about how I felt most impacted by climate change, which I'll acknowledge is certainly an impact marked by privilege. I feel my healthiest, both physically and mentally, when I'm able to be out recreating. Many times this summer, I'd go for a bike ride or a jog and come back with a headache. In order to avoid this, I found myself outside less, only exercising on days with good air quality. Jen helped me fit this into the bucket framework. I might think of that as the second or the third bucket. I mean, mm-hmm. I think there's some overlap. Um, so, again, if, if you're having to change how you live your life over a longer period of time because of the impact, I'd put that in that more chronic, cumulative um, bucket. Yeah. Um, but I also think, you know, we our mental health benefits from being outside, and we know that that boosts mood. And so if you're not able to go and do the things that just make you feel better, that's going to get you kind of indirectly as well. And then I think about populations that really have a strong connection to the outdoors, whether it's an outdoor enthusiast like you or, again, maybe Native American communities or outdoor workers or our tourism industry those people's sense of identity um, and their livelihoods even could be affected by this stuff over time. Have you heard the term solastalgia before? No. Um, I can't remember the, the person who coined it, but basically it means homesickness even when you're at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the idea is if you have strong attachments to certain ecosystems or places or environments and they've changed and you're still living there or you're still, you're still visiting them, what does that stir up inside of you? What kind of emotions? You're probably asking yourself, why all the talk about fire? And it's partially because it's so visceral. I think it's one of the things that we can all visualize. So even if our community isn't having a wildfire, even though ours is right now, but um, you know, we see these images of the Paradise Fire of Australia, and it's kind of gut-wrenching. And so I think even folks who are in communities that are relatively safe from that particular kind of disaster can really kind of vicariously imagine what that might be like. And so I think it's, I know it's it, wildfire smoke in 2017 is what got me activated around climate change. And I think it's made a lot of people realize, wow, climate change is happening now, and it's here, and it's real. And Hopefully that will spark a little more activism or a little more engagement from people because they're recognizing it's, it's, this, isn't, this isn't a drill. I told Jen that I had heard that there was sometimes a correlation between heat and incidences of violence. Here's Jen expanding on that. And maybe I'll separate that between extreme heat events like a heat wave and mm-hmm. just generally rising temperatures. Yeah. So I think we know in, in heat waves, uh, you're, you're right, we see conflict um, episodes of violence go up. Um, you, you know, you... you 
I don't know if you've experienced this. I have. I've just been more cranky this summer. I think people are more impatient. They have less tolerance for things, and it just leads to, to more arguments and what have you. Um, but I also think it contributes to depression for people. It contributes to, um, there's research showing that there are increased uh, suicide attempts when temperatures have been increasing. And so uh, it can affect mental health in, in lots of ways. And then there's one um, kind of way that a lot of people don't really appreciate, but some of the medications that we use to treat mental health disorders, so antipsychotics, some of our antidepressants, um, they change how the body tolerates heat. And so people can have more heat stroke and um, heat illness when they're on those medications. And sometimes we forget to tell them about that. It also seems like there are a lot of compounding impacts. Well, in our case, I think we've had this convergence of heat and, and wildfire. And so... You know, we have the added challenge of the heat goes up, but we can't even necessarily open our windows uh, to, to try to cool things off because of the smoke. And so there's not a lot of respite from it, and people are exposed for you know, weeks at a time. I also mentioned to Jen that I would sometimes have trouble sleeping because of how hot my house got at night. That's a great one that I forgot. It's cer- certainly heat affects sleep, and sleep affects mental health in all kinds of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, we have this catch-22 where, at least in western Montana, we don't have as much uh, air conditioning as, as, say, we'd have if we lived in Florida. But, of course, solving this problem by adding air conditioning is, is not going to address the larger <laughs> issue, so we're, we're kind of stuck. I don't know about you, but this to me this has gone into the third bucket for me this summer is, is I always have this kind of creeping question in the back of my mind is, is this what all of our summers are going to be like from here on out? And again, I put that in more of the overarching bucket. It's, it's, a, it's looking to the future. It's a question I don't know, but I find myself pondering that and worrying about that. Um, and that's, that's one of the beauties of our human minds is we can project in the future, but it's also what can make us struggle if we're spending a lot of time there worrying. Again, this is more anecdotal, but I can speak to a couple of clients of mine who have been talking about their, their grief about that, their sadness about, is this what, again, is this what summer is going to be like? I, again, I, I tried to get through the long, dark months of the winter to, to really enjoy being outside during the summer, and now I, now I can't. Or I really like trail running, and it's not, it's not safe for me right now. And so people are really spending a lot of time, time lamenting that and sitting with that and trying to figure out how they feel about it. This made me think of the idea of ecological grief, or their emotional response to ecological losses, in this case, from climate change. It seems like so many people, myself included, experience some sort of grief related to the climate or fear of future climate impacts. I have a couple of reflections on that, maybe. Um, one is that your your friend's student is, is not alone. I've, I've had, I, I t- co-taught a course last year on climate change and health, and we spent some time talking about the mental health impacts with um, predominantly undergrads and some health profession students. And a lot of them were struggling with their own emotional reactions to, to hearing the information and trying to make sense of what that meant for their future and for their careers. And I think a lot of people talked about a sense of powerlessness or hopelessness or even depression in, in the face of, of this knowledge. Um, so we talked as a group about how do you combat that? and. Um, I think a lot of what we talked about was, was just self-care, um, sometimes taking a break from it. So it's important to lean into it and um, learn about it, but also not spend your entire day there because that can be overwhelming. Um, we talked about just talking about it because when we're kind of in isolation with our emotions about it, we can feel like we're the only ones or it just can make us suffer more. And a lot of the students talked about how beneficial it felt just to realize that other people were thinking about it and worrying about it too. 
Um, and then another thing we really talked about was engaging in climate-related action. So um, on the one hand, acknowledging and honoring the, the emotions people were having, but then using that as motivation to get involved. And for two reasons. One is it could help them feel less powerless. And the second is that we know when people are engaged in community, they do better. Um, and so surrounding yourself with other people who are working on this and thinking about it too helps our mental health. You know, one thing I've, I've, I've had hammered home for me working in the medical field is that our physical health is, is profoundly impacted by our mental health and vice versa. So, you know, we, we worry about lots of other health-related impacts from climate change in terms of um, vector-borne diseases and um, blanking in the second. Okay, give me a minute, I'll come up with them. But, you know, certainly respiratory health, right? So if people have uh, COPD or asthma or they have strong allergies, those are going to get worse in the face of climate change. If people are, are um, suffering from heat-related illness, that could affect diabetes. It could uh, impact their hearts. And so there are all kinds of ways where climate will make people's physical health worse, and that in turn will likely impact their mental health. And when people are struggling mentally, they don't do as well medically. So it's, a, it's kind of a vicious cycle. And then I just add, I think, in general, stress affects people's mental health, right? And so if our communities are destabilized, you know, if I'm in a farming and ranching community in eastern Montana and a drought is destroying my profit margins, that's going to impact um, how I'm doing in the world. And if my entire community is impacted, that's going to affect my entire town. Um, so you can imagine ripple effects in that kind of a way. I can even say um, probably 10 years ago, I, I, it was when I first developed an interest in climate change. Mm -hmm. And I did a lot of reading and thinking about it and um, was struck that it, it felt like there weren't a lot of other people worrying about it with me. And I, I actually got pretty depressed about that. I, I struggled myself just feeling like either I'm overreacting or I'm all alone in this. And so teaching this course last semester with my colleague um, Haley Blackburn in pharmacy and Peter McDonough, who's the climate change studies uh, director, it made a world of difference to be even tag teaming with colleagues who care about this and were thinking and talking about it. Sometimes we had dark humor about it, um, but mostly we, we had a place to go when we were feeling distressed or, or excited and hopeful about some of the things the students were talking about. So it was, it was just a chance to share both the stress and I think the and celebrate some of the, the gains and that, that just made everything better. And I'll, you know, I'll add one other thought about that, which is if, if people who are paying close attention and getting worried about the impacts, if they start to feel really impotent and overwhelmed, um, one of the ways we protect ourselves is to shut down, right? So I think sometimes when we're looking around us and it feels like people aren't caring about this, I think often, and, and uh, a woman by the name of Renee Lurtzman talks about this, and she wrote a paper called The, the Myth of Apathy. And um, her, her contention was not that people don't care, is that they care too much, but they didn't know what to do. And so they numb themselves out, our defenses kick in. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think it's part, part, part of my reason for wanting to focus on the mental health impacts is always obviously to help people feel a little bit better in their distress or to hold their distress um, more effectively. But the other is we can't afford to all shut down about this or avoid it or deny it because that just makes the problem worse. And so how to help people think and talk and feel about it um, but still engage with it and work towards solutions I think is, is the sweet spot and that's what we've got to focus on. I'm pushing to get climate change integrated more broadly into our health professions curriculum because 
most of the health professions training programs that we have right now don't really talk about climate change. And again, the irony is it's the biggest challenge these professionals will be facing in their careers, but we're too busy covering other stuff. And so lots of people are talking about this in medicine and nursing and public health. Um, I certainly hope to get it into behavioral health training. You know, how do we get, make sure that the people who are going to be practicing in this, in this new world are prepared to help people with the, the health and mental health impacts. Um, it's, it's, that's, that's really where I'm focusing professionally is to um, make sure we get it into our training programs. Well, that was what was really fun about the course. We had students from a variety of training programs, from MSU nursing, from pharmacy, from PT, from behavioral health here at the U of M. And a lot of them felt uh, re reported to us later that they were going to uh, commit to working on this in their training to bring it up in their clinics. You know, one thing we didn't talk about is just the, the carbon footprint of the healthcare industry, right? And so... Um, people are going to be agitating to try to make their practice environments more sustainable, too. So there, I like to say that there are lots of roles that health and mental health professionals can play in the, in the battle against climate change. And part of the course was helping people to see some of the ways that they can get involved. Um, so, yeah, I, I hope that that continues moving forward. We'll, we'll probably teach that class again next spring. Um, so hopefully we'll we'll try to fit it in on an annual basis. Well, one, one of the things I love, Peter McDonough uh, once said in class that, you know, there are not many climate change jobs except for maybe his, right? He's the climate change director or studies program director. Um, but, you know, you've probably heard this said, but I think all of us can work on climate change in whatever field we're in. And if we have a passion about something and there's a way to connect it to climate change, I think that gives you more of a sense of purpose. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm in training right now for health and mental health professionals. And so I've found a way to link my interest in addressing climate change with what I do for a living. Um, and that, that's felt really fruitful and, and helpful. And it's, frankly, it's invigorated me. to hear what Jen thought the average person could do in order to address their mental health if it was challenged due to climate change. Yeah, I mean, there's no one size fits all, which I think <laughs> is what you're implying, Devin. But, um, you know, a couple of things. One, again, is just talking about it. I think uh, lots of us struggle with things between our ears, and usually it helps to talk about it with another person. So I think breaking that isolation can be really helpful, especially if the person you're talking to is somebody you feel safe with and supported by. Um, so you, you might have to choose carefully, but um, so building, building your support team, I think, is really helpful. Um, I'd say attending to nuts and bolts. So if you're really struggling, um, make sure you're eating well, sleeping well, getting physical activity, getting outside, right? Um, all the things that, that just make us feel better in our bodies, which helps our mental health. Um, I, I encourage people sometimes if they find that they're feeling overwhelmed and their response to that is to shut down or numb, um, to find ways to lean into it a little bit more and kind of sit with it, but also to take breaks. And so I think sometimes, and maybe the student you were talking about earlier was struggling with this, I think if we focus on it all the time, it's going to be too much. And I, I, um, I like thinking if, you know, if we take breaks, we're, we're going to be of more value to the team. And so sometimes that means taking, taking a vacation or taking the weekend off or whatever just to recharge your batteries. 
if you are um, finding yourself really depressed and it's hard to get, get yourself going, um, we talk about behavioral activation, which essentially means pushing yourself to do things even if you don't feel like it because you'll get some momentum and hopefully get back on track. Um, but when we shut down or avoid, that actually tends to make our moods worse. Those are just a couple of ideas. I, and I'll go back again really to uh, activism, and I use that term really, really broadly. There, everybody, Every personality style, every kind of person can be an activist in some way. That might be writing a letter or making a phone call. It might be protesting. It might be, you know, I don't know what. But um, if we're focusing on our mental health just to make ourselves feel better, that doesn't get magnified in the ways that I think becoming engaged with a group of people who are working on this um, can do. And I, and I, like I said, it will make your, your mental health feel better to feel connected with a community of people who care about what you care about, and you'll probably get more done. If you have any questions or comments, you can shoot Kelly an email at k-e-l-l-i at climatesmartmissoula.org. If you like this podcast, try to share it with your neighbor. If you're not familiar with Climate Smart Missoula by now, they're a teeny, tiny, Missoula-based nonprofit where every penny counts. If you want to support this podcast or Climate Smart's mission, consider donating. You can do so on our website. Much appreciation to Jen Robum for speaking with us. As always, thanks to Anna Bays for the cover art for the series and Madeline Stevens and Seamus Land for the transition riffs. The intro and outro for the show are courtesy of Free Music Archives. This is Clear the Air from Climate Smart Missoula, and thank you so much for listening.